Yeah, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Welcome to Luminous. Man, we're so excited you're here this morning. Excited to share God's word with you. And if you're a guest with us, man, super excited that you took a chance on us. Uh, I think I was yelling at everybody at the front door coming through with the Adams as they were greeting on the connection team. And so thank you for staying and me not scaring you off. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, but we pray that you're blessed this morning. Uh, we're going to be in two places this morning. You can turn to your Bibles on your phone app or paper Bible or whatever you see fit. But it, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. And so hold your spot right there as we get to that. We've been in a series called Meals with Jesus. It's been exciting to be in this series. It's been exciting to be a part of this journey with you as we've been looking at Jesus's different encounters around the dinner table. And, and some of them were inviting sinners to the table and rebuking the the religious uh, uh the, the religiosity of the time of the day and so there was this this moment of invitation of welcoming and there was also some open rebuke that was happening how many know that jesus will open rebuke you if you get out of line how many of you are thankful for that? I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that we don't have a passive father, a father who just sits back and lets things happen, but he's active in our lives. And how many of you know that we need that in our society, in our culture today? We need an active father. We need somebody who's going to be very personal with us. He's going to help guide us. He's going to come and he's going to come in our midst and he's going to start moving in ways to, to pry us into what he has called us to do. And this is what we see Jesus doing at the table. We see him affirming, we see him rebuking, and ultimately we see him reconciling. How many think that he, are thankful that he doesn't just rebuke, but he's rebuking to get you reconciled so that you're in right relationship? This is what God wants for us, to be in right relationship, right standing with him. There are nine meals in Luke chapter, in, in the, the gospel according to Luke nine different meals. We've only looked at a few of those. We're going to uh, conclude next week with the road to Emmaus and that meal for Easter Sunday, everybody. Come on. Excited for Easter Luminous. We have two services. God's going to move. It's going to be cool. Uh, but today, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're going to be looking at a meal here in just a moment. There are two meals that we left out of this particular series, and we left out the meal with Mary and Martha, and we also left out the meal of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we did that purposefully because we actually talked about those during our miracle series, so we've actually touched on those, and we've been a part of that. We also talked about Mary and Martha in particular at our Luminous Loves distribution a couple of weeks ago, and so we're, we, we, we touched on that, so Today we're going to look at a, a, little a little bit different meal. In fact, it wouldn't be described as a meal. It would be described as a gathering to a house and, and a moment of hosting Jesus. But how many of you know, in Jewish culture, if you host, there's food. It's kind of like the Filipinos. Can I get an amen? You know, it's all our Filipino friends who, when, when they host, they don't just invite you over. They're going to they're gonna put out the spread. And the spread is, is unique. It's, 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 like a, it's a, like a buffet. There's all sorts of foods there that that we love to partake in. And so, so that's what's happening in this moment. So as we read about Luke and we get into chapter 18, where is Jesus? Where is he on his journey? So the unique part about Jesus is in Luke's gospel account is he's from, I believe it's chapter 11 through 20. 
through 19, it's Jesus' journey all the way back to Jerusalem, leading us to Jerusalem and ultimately where he would give his life for the ransom of many, where he would give his life for you and me. And this journey is, is a, a journey where Jesus is teaching and proclaiming and declaring, and, and we find Jesus here in a moment. He's going to be in Jericho where he's ministering. But I want, to, um, I want to read Luke 18, but to do that, I want to set up Matthew 16, 26. And if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with the scripture. If you haven't, I want to let you know this, is that this is really the point of the gospel and that we're in conflict with all the time. Matthew 16, 26. What profit is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What would it profit you of, of your career and your ambition, your university students, you're, you're climbing the ladder, you're doing whatever it is, you're trying to do all these things and acquire, acquire, acquire. Isn't that the point of life? So they tell us. Acquire as much possible because YOLO, you only have one life to live and you should live it to the best of your ability and acquire as much as you possibly can. But I want to tell you, there is some deception in that very statement for you and me, isn't there? There's some deception is, is that we will get off a of mission and purpose of why we're here and why we were truly created when all we want to do is acquire items. And I want to let you know I'm a collector. I love collecting things. I love acquiring things. Who doesn't love getting a bunch of things? I love it. Come on, keep giving me more and more. More house, more car, more clothes, more shoes. Can we got any sneakerheads in here? Right? More, more, more. And you keep getting more and more and more. And I don't want to shame you or condemn you because I'm not saying getting things is bad. But what happens is, is when you get the things over the one true thing, the one true God, the one true person, we acquire, acquire, acquire. But what if we acquire so much that we forfeit our very essence. And you hear the word soul there. It goes past this flesh to this internal being that we are, that God made. And that soul he so loves and so cares, and it's what he wants to save. Your soul. He's into saving souls. The essence of a person. What profit is it to gain the whole world and forfeit one's soul? So we're going to look at two rich men, chapter 18, chapter 19 in Luke. Two rich men. Two rich men have a choice, for they've gained a lot of wealth. In Luke 18, 18, let's read this passage. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. What a great student. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Don't you love how the prophet can speak into your soul? Don't you love how God can speak into your situation? 
How many of us try to manipulate God sometimes for our benefit, for our personal gain? And it's like God loves to highlight the things that you're hiding. You know that's true. He loves to highlight that because he's not going to be in competition with any other idol. When Jesus heard this, verse 22, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Difficult, but not impossible. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, to, rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? We said what is impossible with man is possible with God. And if we were to only have that story, if, we, if that was it, it would feel really hopeless, especially for us who have something. Right? And how many of you know Americans are the richest of the rich? We, we have, we're the top richest. Everybody in here is richer than most of the world. You're like, Pastor, you don't know my bank account right now. <laughs> Food, shelter, provision, all that God has given us, but, but it's not impossible. So we have Jesus journeying to Jericho, to Jerusalem. He stops in Jericho. And, and as he's going, the crowd is beginning to follow him. It, 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 we're, we're leading into this very Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday, where, where the crowds would follow him into Jerusalem in great anticipation for the king to come and arrive. And they're so excited about it. And Jesus is going. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't puff up. Even at the last minute, he was saving souls. How many of you know that's true? This is what Jesus does, is sometimes we think that we may have missed it. Sometimes we think we may have missed it in our past, that we didn't get to experience Jesus soon enough. It's too late for me, Pastor. I'm too far gone. But I want to let you know, if Jesus kept saving souls up to his last breath, he's not done with you yet either. Jesus loves you. He's going to pursue you. And in this moment, as he stops in Jericho, let's read this account in chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a name Zacchaeus, a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. How many of us can relate to that? Okay, just me. Me and Pastor Austin. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass away. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw that they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
so grateful that he came to seek and save the lost. We look at this scripture in complete contrast, the paradox of Luke 18. A rich, a rich man went away sad. You have another rich man who is anticipating and coming and leaving quite glad because he is seeing Jesus and he's coming with anticipation, believing that Jesus can do what he said he would do. You know, I can only imagine the chief tax collector this is the only time in Scripture and that, that we see this word chief tax collector. It's the only usage of the Greek in, in, in some of these ancient Greek narratives. The, the only word used is chief tax collector right here, meaning that he was the man, the man of men. I can only imagine that maybe he got wind of Levi, the tax collector, in Luke chapter 5 that we read. I can only imagine that he saw how Jesus called Levi from the tax booth, how Levi came and, and through a banquet for Jesus, invited all the sinners and tax collectors. I wonder if the chief tax collector was there. I'm sure he got wind of it. You see, when you put all your hope in some earthly substance, it will disappoint every time. That substance could be riches. It could be a significant other, right? It could be the dream career or the dream destination, somebody. How many of us been looking at Instagram like, come on, Tahiti, come on, Fiji, let's go Guam. Come on, somebody, I don't know if Guam's nice, I just know people from there. We look at these IGs, we look at Facebook, we look at all these moments and saying, man, if I could just go there, all my worries would fall away. How many country songs are written? How many R&B songs are written? How many songs and poetry has spent on writing about the idea of there's something that will complete you and make you whole if you just find it? And I know the longer you live, the more you realize the American dream my dream falls short and leaves me empty. We leave empty. And when we walk away empty, then we start pacifying it with whatever other addiction may fill that void, trying to stuff as much as we can in there because hopelessness is a bottom pit if you're looking for the answer here on earth. But the chief tax collector, he hears it rumored that Jesus is in town. He hears it rumored that Jesus is coming and there's a crowd following him. And so what does the chief tax collector do? He gets in position. And I want to tell you right now, if you're hopeless in this situation, hopeless right now in life, the first thing that we have to do is get in position. If you want to start seeing Jesus move in your life, there is a position that you have to take, and the position is that of sight. That of sight. 
This is what we're seeing is happening. And so, so what does he do? He must get in sight so that he can set his eyes on Jesus. What he's doing in the natural is also happening supernaturally. It's why we say this over and over again in our church is that if you could just see Jesus, life would be forever changed. Get in position. Everybody say, get in position. Get in position. Zacchaeus the chief tax collector, you know, you know he knows how to get in position. To, to be the man, to be the CEO, to be the boss, you got in the position quite a bit, didn't you? To, to, to do that, you, it means you've gone to different places. You've taken great links. You, you've overcome the obstacles that are in front of you. How many of you know that sometimes there's an obstacle in front of you, and so now you start making excuses? Oh, it's just too difficult. To come to the Palladium at 10 a.m. Amen. It's just too difficult to, to, to make room for Jesus in my busy schedule. How many of us have a busy schedule? All of us, right? All of us, because I've talked to all of you. How's life? Busy. So what happens is there's, there's these excuses or obstacles gets in our way. But what does Zacchaeus do? He makes a way out of the obstacle. He finds a tree. Perhaps if I climb up to that tree, I can perch there and get a bird's eye view on where Jesus is and what he's doing. Maybe I can get a glimpse of him. And this is important for us because, because how many of you know when you really want to see something, you'll get in position. I, t- I took the kids, um, had the opportunity to take the kids to Disney World. We went to Disney World over Christmas. We did Mexico Mission Trip, and then we did Disney World. I'm telling you, that was a paradox. We went to Disney World, and, and it was all about the parade coming. Y'all, y'all, anybody been there? The parade. Maybe you've been to another parade. Maybe it's the, the fiesta. Maybe it's the river parade. The river parade. You can't ever see that thing. And so, but, but here's the thing is if you really want to see it, you're going to make a way. You're going to make a way. And so we, we ended up going to the parade. We find out what time it starts. We get there early. I see the parade going. And what do I do? I walk ahead, right, to find a high place. And you know what I do? I end up putting my kids on my shoulders so they can see. Any dad's done that before? You put your kids on your shoulders so they get a higher view, a higher view. And this is what we'll do. This is what we'll do oftentimes. We'll get in position. We're going to come in position. The next thing we see is Zacchaeus, although he was just going to get a look, he actually gets noticed. And when we get in position and when we start moving, I'm going to tell you that God is noticing you. God is noticing your worship. He's noticing when you're crying out to him. He's noticing when you're bowing down. He hears your cry. He longs for your cry. He longs for those to cry out to him. He wants to know you. And so when he wants to know you, he's not going to leave you like an empty father, and he's not going to remain silent. He's going to speak. God's going to speak to you. Everybody said to me. God's going to speak to you. He's going to call out to you, just like he did to Zacchaeus. There was this moment where he calls out to him, and he starts calling him down from his position to draw him close. 
what God loves to do. And we all remember those who are in Christ the moment that we were called by God, don't we? It was a moment for all of us in this place who are in Christ, who've professed him as Lord and Savior. We, we know him. We love him. And there was this moment and there was this position where we were crying out and we were knocking. Knock and you will find me. Seek and you will find. Keep knocking. I'm reminded of the persistent widow. She just kept knocking, kept asking, kept believing, kept seeking. And what happened? God is going to reward those who seek him. He's not going to leave you empty. I believe that God wants to come and he wants to place his hand upon you this morning. He wants to show you who he is. And it's in this moment that Zacchaeus comes down. And he ends up moving and taking a posture of repentance, turning away from all this gain that he did uh, incorrectly, all this worldly gain, taking advantage of people. But, but, but that was his job. He was a tax collector, pastor, like the IRS, you know. I don't want to pay it, but it's their job. I'll pay it. Yes, but the tax collectors would do this. They wouldn't just collect for themselves but they would, or collect for Rome. They would collect more for themselves. They were constantly manipulating and constantly cheating the system. And the way we know this is because he begins to make restitution for the wrongs that he did. This scripture tells us that there was this conviction that he was doing something wrong and therefore he needed to make it right. When Jesus calls you, he's going to move you to a place of righting your wrongs. He's going to move you to a place of repenting and confession and that which was wronged will be right and when he does this i love when zacchaeus is called because zacchaeus is called as the chief tax collector from the perch down and what does he do he comes to jesus and he receives him joyfully joyfully can you only imagine and i know you have before where god called you and it felt like all the burdens and the weight of the world was lifted this is the good news. The good news is this, is that whatever you're carrying, you weren't meant to carry on your own. The moment that we get anxious in life, any sort of anxiety that plagues us is because we're carrying something we're not supposed to carry. Our anxious feeling, our anxious thoughts, the anxious ways is we're carrying our own burdens and not giving it to Jesus. But when you give it to Jesus and you repent for carrying your own stuff, I want to tell you right now, carrying your own stuff without Jesus is sin. Oh, pastor, why we, don't use the S word in here. It's sin because you weren't meant to carry everything by yourself. You weren't meant to carry it by yourself. You weren't meant to carry that burden. You were meant to give it to Jesus. It's why Acts will talk about, and every time we see repentance takes place, there's always this emotion of joy, of rejoicing. Why? Because the burden is being placed on the right person. And when that happens, our anxiety is lifted. Fear is lifted. Self-reliance is lifted. The chief tax collector, I'm telling you, he was the most self-reliant. 
He made a way. He climbed the ladder. He became CEO. He was in position. And really, he realized that I can't do this on my own. I can't go on living like this. This is hopeless and empty. So he turns to Jesus. He looks at him. And when Jesus calls him down, joy is just overflowing him. And the gospel in this moment starts righting wrongs. The gospel in this moment starts moving, and we read about the chief tax collector, and he is giving his stuff away. He's making restitution. The interesting thing, Zacchaeus is a Hebrew name. A Hebrew name meaning that he knew the Jewish customs. He wasn't an outsider. He knew the scripture, and he knew what God wanted from him as as. Abraham's seed. He knew that. And so what did he do? He started giving four times, making fourfold that which was wrong into rights. He knew this. Because when God calls you, he moves you to be in alignment with what he's called you to do. And he's giving you a platform and a way to make restitution. In fact, he's given us a a platform to make restitution in such a way it was written in his law in Exodus chapter 22. Where if, if you, you borrow somebody's ox or you steal a sheep and it dies or you sell it away, right? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to give five times the ox that you took. Four times the sheep that you took. This man was robbing from the sheep. And so what did he do? He started providing for the people that he robbed from. He started providing sheep. He started providing this moment of bringing restitution. This is what God does in our life is that he changes us. And when he changes us, it transforms the way that we live. And we start becoming, as the, as the scripture would say, ministers of reconciliation. That we would minister and reconcile people back to the Father. He finds himself doing this. Zacchaeus restitution is a result of the fruits of repentance. That every time we repent, every time we come to God and we say we're sorry, there is evident fruit in our life of repentance. Worldly sorrow would be sorry I got caught. Godly sorrow says, God, I'm sorry, and now I'm reconciling and I'm restoring that which is lost. And the wrongs that I did, I'm going to make right not to earn your grace and love, but from your grace and love, you give me the power to do so. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for us. Luke 3, John the Baptist, he he goes to the crowds. And the crowds ask him, what shall we do after he hears the message of the kingdom of God? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. John the Baptist was telling the tax collector exactly what to do. Only collect that which you have the authority to collect. And don't assert your own authority, your own way on the situation. 
And this is helpful for us because as we're following Jesus, it's like, Jesus, what do I do? How do I do this? Some of us have some lucrative careers. How many know that's true? Like we have some ways of making money where it's a little lucrative, a little, a little sketch. And the Lord would say this, hey, do what is right and follow me. I will provide for you. I will make a way. I will start doing what I've called you to do, and I will start moving on your behalf. And in verse 10, it says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As Zacchaeus is hosting, the second time we see this, in Luke 5, Levi hosts Jesus, invites tax collectors. Here we have a moment, just like we see in Luke 5, Jesus is in Jericho, and, and we find the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, hosting Jesus, and he's making restitution, and there's moments of him enacting what God has already been doing in a moment. <clears throat> and in this moment, he says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a third person uh, moment right here where it's as though Jesus is calling Zacchaeus. He's saying, I'm staying to your house. And then he turns to the crowd and he turns to Luminous. He says, for the son of man, Jesus came to save that who is lost. Those who are lost came to save you, came to make a way from you, came to give you hope, came to give you a future. That Zacchaeus' moment wasn't a private moment. It was a public moment. And the great thing about salvation, if you make salvation only a private moment and live it, leave it in private constraints, you'll live a very private, quiet life of faith. But when you become public and you start declaring, and you start moving. It's why we have altar calls. It's like those who got saved in Billy Graham, they got out of their chair, they went down like three miles to the front, you know, down all the steps, and they responded to the gospel. And the people who got saved in those crusades, their life was forever changed because it went public. And they started proclaiming the gospel, started teaching the gospel, started sharing the gospel. I'm telling you, God doesn't want a private faith. He wants a public display of an inner faith that's inside of you. This is what Jesus wants for you. He wants people to know it. He wants you to know it. He wants us to know it. And the faith that we live out, the faith that we're called to is a faith that will not only display that the gospel can save you, Jesus can save you. Jesus can take your anxiety. He can take your burden. He can take your pain, and he can take it and replace it with himself, which is so much greater and so much better because that's when joy is restored. He will make it public, but then there will be this provision for those who are poor because when you're saved, you start giving your life away. You start giving your life away. I'll never forget when God radically changed me. I grew up in a Christian household. I always believed in God, always had faith. But there was this moment, this transformation that started taking place over and over and over again. And I realized I started giving him my anxiety. I started giving him my fears. I started giving him my worries. I started giving him all my future plans. I started giving him everything. And all I wanted to do was give my life away. It's what brought Brandy and I to San Antonio. We wanted to give our life away to everybody in this city. 
We want them to know the good news of Jesus and the hope for humanity and how he come, came to save the lost. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what he wants for you. He wants you to climb down from your sycamore tree. Some of us have been observing out of curiosity. Some of us have been seeing him from a distance. But God's calling us to come close. There's so much fear in coming close to God. He's so big. There's a reverence there. He's going to expose me. He's going to expose the sin inside of me. He's not going to let me keep the things that these idols that are put up that are comfort he's going to take those away so much fear there but i'm going to tell you the step down from the sycamore tree is the step into your destiny it's the step that jesus wants for your life it's what he wants to accomplish in you and through you so if you bow your head and close your eyes this morning i want to ask you a couple of questions to reflect this morning Will we accept Jesus' invitation to come to him? The truth is, Jesus sees all of us this morning, and he's, he's, he's calling you to himself. He's saying, not your way, but my, my way. Not, not, not your own deeds, but I paid the deeds for you. I'm calling you out of the sycamore tree to follow me, to believe in me. If you've been sitting there and not been coming down, Jesus would say, I want you, I see you, I love you, I pay the price for you. Repent of your sins, turn away from that way, confess me as Lord, come bow at my feet and watch what I do with you, son and daughter. The second question is, what is a possession that you are holding on to that you need to let go of? I feel like all of us need to pray this prayer to Jesus this morning. And so we're going to take a moment right now. And I want you to pray. I don't want to pray for you yet. I want you to pray to your father. I want you to pray to Jesus. And it simply looks like this. Jesus, is there anything I'm holding that I need to let go of? Can we take a moment and just ask him? Ask him in your own words. Jesus. given you so much let go of so much but is there anything else I need to let go of Jesus is there anything I need to let go of this morning thank you that you're a good dad who speaks to your children 
And Jesus, thank you for revealing and showing. We repent of that. We give it to, your, to you and we lay it at your feet. Lord, we give it to you not to pick it up again. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. And if you would, and if you're able to stand up with us this morning. Communion is our corporate response this morning. It's our corporate response of literally coming down from the sycamore tree and partaking at the table. Christ's blood, Christ's body, which was broken and shed for us. This is a representation of saying, I am not sufficient in myself. I need you to be sufficient for me. That's what communion is. So we have two communion stations, one on your right and one on your left. And you'll come down during this worship song and any time during this worship song and you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the juice and then you may partake of the elements. But I want to bless these elements this morning. We believe these represent the body and the blood. The body of Christ broken for you. And it's the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Father, come right now. We bless this bread. Your body. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we take this cup. The forgiveness of sins. It's not our blood. It's yours. It's yours. Shed for us. Bless this cup in Jesus' name.